family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Well, church, as we, um, as we enter into kind of a new uh, season, we, we come, are coming right off the heels of our Advent season uh, in which we celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation, God with us, Emmanuel. Um, this birth narrative is, is written, really emphasized in two out of the four Gospels. And so as we, as we exit that season and, and look at the life of Jesus in this next season between Advent and Lent, where we celebrate uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, his, his victory over the grave at Easter, uh, we sit in this in-between point, this in-between period where we look a little bit at the life of Jesus and what that means for us. While the birth narrative is only written twice in, uh, in two of the four Gospels. Uh, this story that we're going to be leaning into, uh, the baptism of Jesus on this uh, Remembrance of Baptism Sunday, you'll see the bowls of water up here in the front and in the back uh, to remember our baptism. A couple weeks ago, we had a, a few baptisms that we got to celebrate in here, um, this, this celebration of new life, this celebration of um, of the identity of Christ and the Spirit of God moving within someone. All four of the Gospels emphasize this story. While only two emphasize the birth narratives, all four recognize this story of Jesus' baptism as a pivotal moment in the history of the church. There's something profound happening in this moment, that of which we cannot fully understand. But as we lean into the text today, we'll see that this is not only one of the, the most significant moments in Jesus' ministry, but actually it, it is the, the moment that fuels and furnishes his entire ministry. But for us, for us, I believe that this passage speaks to the vital truth as we rem- to these vital truths as we remember our baptism as we learn to live from our spiritual identity and as we allow the spirit to lead us to places of discomfort. Would you go to God with me as we, uh, as we lean into scripture and prayer? Holy Spirit, would you speak through the word of God? Would you move me aside and speak your truth? God, would you take the words from my mouth and the meditations of my heart? God, would you make them pleasing to you? God, would you mold and shape us through the living and active word of God here on this day? God, may you be glorified above all else. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So a little bit of backstory as we uh, open up the, our scripture to Luke chapter three, uh, we see the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. The last time we meet John the Baptist was in Elizabeth's womb when he leapt because the, the, the presence of Jesus was so close to him uh, that 
his, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, uh, leapt in the womb. And uh, we see this relationship uh, in, in a beautiful way as they come together and as Jesus uh, is baptized by John. John was baptizing out in the wilderness in the River Jordan. He was baptizing uh, a baptism of repentance. People would come to be cleansed from their sin. People of all, all different types um, Jewish leaders to uh, centurion guards to, uh, to the, just the, the commoner, the Jews and Gentile both were coming to be baptized. This is a, a beautiful movement of the spirit in this place. So in Luke chapter three, we see the baptism of Jesus, this pivotal moment. I'm gonna stop as we read throughout the text to hopefully illuminate some of the text. Uh, I love to do this because um, I believe that the text is so rich and so dense that it causes us to pause. When we read the word of God, especially in our personal devotion time, it shouldn't just be that we fly through it, but there's there's so much in this text that it's important to have a a commentary or a study Bible, something that you can read and and be able to pull some different pieces out. I think there's so much in the text. And so if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter three, starting in verse 21, hear hear these words. When all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying and heaven opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So in John's gospel, uh, when he talks about this moment, he says says these words that none of the other uh, uh, gospel writers write. He says that the spirit remained on him. The Spirit remained on Jesus. Throughout all of the Old Testament, the Spirit has descended. The Spirit has been present with people as they've been in the temple, in the presence of God. The Spirit has been this temporary thing that has been on them, but not remained with them. And this is the first time that we see the Spirit remain on someone. It becomes Jesus's companion for all of his ministry. Continuing, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. This moment is really profound. Uh, I don't know if you caught it, but in this one moment, this one space, we see the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. This is the first time in all of scripture that we see all three other than uh, in Genesis when they say, let us make man in our image. Uh, we kind of assume that those three are together, but this is the first time that it's named the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together. The, the words Trinity are never used in scripture, but we gain our doctrine of the Trinity from a, a story like this, from these, uh, these uh, intersections of those three parts of the Trinity coming together. We could dive even deeper, uh, maybe for another sermon, but we could see the different parts of the Trinity and how uh, there are roles within the, the Holy Trinity as we understand the, the missio dei, the mission of God um, is kind of laid out in this text in, in beautiful ways. That's another sermon. But uh, for us, this, this phrase, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased, is so dense with meaning. It's more than just a, just a, hey, this is my son, attaboy, I'm proud of you, right? Um, this is so uh, dense with the image of uh, an identity of God. If you were a, a religious authority or a Jew in that moment where you're standing there and you heard these words, it would bring you back to two passages in scripture in the Old Testament. Psalm 2 
This is my son whom I love, is a direct quote from Psalm 2, which is a, a passage that talks about the Messiah who will come to save. With whom I am well pleased is a direct quote out of Isaiah 42, which is a passage about a suffering servant. So in this, in this phrase, not just a pat on the back attaboy, but it is uh, so dense with the, with the, the identity of God, this, this one who is being baptized will be the Messiah who will save and also the suffering servant. Paul picks up this, this understanding in the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. He says, uh, for, for Jesus did not come with this grandiose idea that he could be uh, on the same level as God, but he came and humbled himself, took on the very nature of a servant. So in this passage, in this, this really quick words, we see Jesus is given the power of the Holy Spirit to remain with him, and he receives a dense messianic identity for the people. Now, all of the other uh, gospels, they jump straight from this moment, uh, this, this, this climactic moment where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all together. You imagine like the, the hallelujah chorus going off as Jesus rises out of the water dramatically, the, the the water is flying off of him. The sun is probably hitting just right, so there's a nice glow. And then they move straight into this dramatic scene uh, in the wilderness, in the desert, where Jesus is now gonna be tempted by Satan as the kind of the, the culmination of his ministry. But Luke, Luke does something different. He pauses for a moment. He takes us through a, a metaphorical school zone. He says, slow down for a minute. And he reads us a genealogy. Like the most boring part of all of scripture, this, this so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, so-and-so was the son of so-and-so. He stops right at this, this pivotal moment and says, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old. And when he began his ministry, he was the son. Uh, so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. For 15 verses, he keeps repeating this son of this, son of that, son of this. It feels like this passage is just so misplaced. Like build off of this momentum and into something else. But uh, when we see, we see it start to build a little bit. In verse 38, we see that Luke is doing something very specific by putting this in the middle between these two passages. He says in verse 38, hear the mic drop. The son of Enoch the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Right, you guys all got that excited, right? You guys were like, oh my gosh, yeah. No? That wasn't your, your attitude when you, when you heard that genealogy come to a climax? No, what he's doing here is he's highlighting this really uh, very important thing for us. Not only is Jesus the, the Messiah, the, the, Messian, the Messiah who will come to save, not only is he the suffering servant, but in this, in this one phrase, the son of Adam, the son of God, Luke is bringing forth all of the Old Testament history, all of the redemptive story of God to the, to the people of Israel. He's calling us back to Adam and Eve, to the sin in which Adam brought us into, the curse of man 
and the redemption of God. He's saying that Jesus is the second Adam who will bring redemption to this narrative, to these people through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This, this person, this person is, his identity is so important for the rest of his ministry, for the rest of his life, for us to understand who he is. This is the son of Adam, the son of God. Everything in Jesus's life and his ministry springs forth out of this one moment. The spirit's power and the identity that he has given. This is in literary text, we call this literary criticism, we call this cruciality. Uh, This is the crux of the matter. This is the most crucial point. This is the the turning point, the pivot for all of Jesus's ministry. We see the 30 years before, we don't see a ton of miracles. We don't see any miracles. We just, the only image we have is Jesus in a manger, Jesus on the run, and Jesus in the temple teaching the other uh, other, uh, religious leaders. We don't see any any of these pivotal moments that we see at the end. It all comes out of this one moment. These final three years would be dramatically shifted when, his, when he, Jesus understands and his identity is proclaimed and he embraces the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear these words, church. Write these down. Take a picture of what's on the screen. Chew on this throughout the week because uh, these words are, are important for us as we understand our, what this means for us. The turning point in our lives is not when we say a prayer at church camp. The turning point in our lives is when we begin boldly living from our spiritual identity and we embrace the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. Church, I, I truly believe that there are people sitting in chairs and pews all across, all across the world on a Sunday morning that call themselves Christians and have not experienced this, this pivot in their lives. They have not experienced boldly living out our spiritual identity and embracing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives. John Wesley was one of them. For 35 years of his life, he lived this pious life. He was even a preacher, an Anglican preacher, ordained Anglican preacher. And 35 years later, 35 years later, he claims that this is when I became a follower of Christ. When I truly became a follower of Christ was at a, a Moravian prayer meeting where he, he heard the epistle, the epistle of Romans, uh, the introduction read from, John's, or from a Martin Luther's commentary. His heart was strangely warmed as he understood the sonship of God and un- understood the adoption that he received as a child of God. His heart was strangely warmed. From that moment, his preaching changed dramatically. From that moment, he began uh, getting kicked out of pulpits because the church uh, was too, uh, was too, um, they wouldn't hear his powerful words. They were too set in their ways. So he began to preach in the fields and where he was kicked out of the pulpits, he, uh, thousands were gathering in the fields because they needed to hear this convicting word. Everything changed for John Wesley when he understood this idea that he could live from his identity empowered by the Holy Spirit. When we baptize in the Methodist church, this is what we celebrate. 
We are leaning into uh, being claimed by Christ, that we are a child of God and that we are given a new measure of the Spirit through baptism. That we are acknowledging the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives long before we could ever choose Christ in our lives. You may have heard uh, the phrase in a, a Baptist church uh, that baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. We in the Methodist church, we, we, we understand it slightly different, that baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. It is God's grace that has gone before us, that has claimed us as children of God. It's God's grace that, that pours his spirit out in us and empowers us to go out, in, out into the world, boldly proclaiming the message of Christ. It's not just a, a symbol of, of change, but it's a declaration of our identity and a filling of the spirit, much like Jesus we live in and through the waters of our baptism. Out of this moment springs life. This is the source of our identity as children of God. We are commissioned, we are sent, we are empowered as we remember our baptism. This ought to be a daily reminder. I think every time we, we wash our face in the mornings, we, we, we open the sink and, and put water on our hands and splash it on our face, it ought to be a remem- remembrance, a reminder that we are uh, baptized into Christ's church, that we are children of God, that we are empowered by the Spirit. We need to be daily filled and daily reminded of this because the world is actively trying to break that message down. It did for Jesus. In, in Luke chapter four, immediately following this genealogy, we see uh, in Mark's gospel, he says, immediately the spirit drove him into the desert. Luke's gospel, he can't say immediately because he had that genealogy thing. Um, but, Jesus, he, he, but he does say, Jesus, full of the spirit. He wants you to know that his identity and the fullness of the spirit is what drives the rest of his ministry, what drives everything from here on out. Jesus, full of the spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. I would be too. Right, this is a perfect time for, for Satan to come and to tempt when, when Jesus is feeling a little bit hangry. I don't think Jesus felt hangry. Uh, that's you and I. That's our sin, uh, as we feel hangry. Uh, but for Jesus, uh, he was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. When we are led by the Spirit, church, it sometimes leads us to uncomfortable places. But it is the power of the Spirit the fullness of the Spirit and our spiritual identity that sustains us in these times. See that in this text. Verse three says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, immediately he's coming out his identity. You just were claimed as the child of God, but Satan is immediately coming back and attacking that. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, then tell this stone, to become bread. Jesus answered, it, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone that I want. If you worship me, 
It will all be yours. You see, if Jesus remembers his identity in this moment, he recognizes that it is already his. That, the, that his father was the creator of all things and in the end of all things, he will make all things new and it will all be reclaimed by God and his people. I don't need to take it by other means. I don't need to take it by ways of the world. It is already mine. I am the son of God. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift, up in their, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Friends, the enemy's greatest attack is to try to falsify your adoption papers. Every criticism, every negative performance report, every layoff that we experience, the enemy will try to use that to make you feel insignificant, to make you feel less, to make you feel ineffective or inefficient in your work. I'm an Enneagram 3, I'm a performer at, at nature, um, and I have a really hard time with this. I have a, such a difficult time separating what I do from who I am. And so if what I do is criticized, then, then immediately for me, I go to then who I am is insufficient. But what Christ reminds us, if we are living from the waters of our baptism, not allowing the things of the world to change the waters of our baptism, but if we're living from our identity in Christ, then our identity is what forms what we do, not the other way around. This is essential. The enemy will try to show you all of the toys of the world, the toys that someone else has to make you forget the spiritual blessings that God has given you. See, the enemy has nothing of value to offer because every promise and every blessing is already ours as adopted sons and daughters. We are heirs to the kingdom of God and he will bring everything back into ours. Church, I believe in this next year, if we begin to live out of our identity and be led by the Spirit, I believe God is calling us to much greater and higher things as a community of faith. Four things that I think, as I was praying, that I feel like God kind of put before us as a community. Number one, lean in. Tune your heart to the movements of the Spirit through this community of faith. When you come into this space, when you gather in small groups, when you interact with one another, lean in to the ways in which the Holy Spirit is moving. If we have one spirit and one voice, then if we are all listening to that one voice, then we will move forward in unity because the, the one spirit is leading us. So lean in. Tune your hearts to the movement of the spirit. Number two, 
recognize that the Spirit does not lead us to greater comfort. The wilderness is meant to stretch us and to prepare us for the things that God has before us. So ask yourself, as God leads me into spaces of uncomfortability, ask yourself, why do I not want to go there? What is the idol within me that, God, that, that is pushing back against me going to that space? Trust. And as you're in the wilderness, trust that your relationship with God, our Father, will sustain you there. Number three, I believe that God is calling us as a community to live more boldly in our faith, knowing that our identity in Christ reminds us that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The spaces that God is going to lead us as a community, he has already been. The battle in those spaces belongs to him and he is greater. He is greater than the enemy that will come and try to attack, that will come and try to steal your, ad- uh, your adoption certificate. And finally, I believe in this season, God is calling us as a community to learn what it means to sit with God, to be loved by God, for his character to rub off on us like a a daughter mimicking the mannerisms of her mother. As we sit with God, our lives will begin to look more like him. The character, our character will begin to look more like him. Our attitudes, our mannerisms, our way of thinking will begin to look more like him. I think God is calling us to learn to sit with him. I'm gonna invite the band to come forward. Church, I believe that today, God is calling some of us. God is calling some of us to a crux position to a pivot in our lives, to a, a moment of, of, of cruciality to say the before today and the after today is gonna be different. I believe that God is calling some of us who sit in these chairs today to receive the Holy Spirit to a new measure to reclaim our identity as a child of God. Maybe you have been living out of a different identity, an identity built on our own efforts. Maybe we've been, you've been living one that lives by bread alone, that only is concerned by the natural things of this world. Maybe the identity that you've been building is one that will bow down to any unholy means so that it might take hold of the kingdom your own way. Today, church, I believe God is calling us to pivot. God is calling us back to the waters of our baptism to remember not only who you are, but whose you are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we take of communion, we recognize that in this 
this common act of receiving the bread and the cup, we are also receiving the grace of God. A sacrament, much like baptism, we recognize that there's something, something supernatural that's happening in this moment, not just a, a common after-worship snack. But in this moment, we are receiving Christ. We are receiving the, the sustaining power of God. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread This is my body, he said, broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He offered it to the Lord first and foremost, and he said to the body who was sitting there with him, the people who had been journeying with, he said, this is my cup, my blood, a sign of the new covenant for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And so Holy Spirit, would you take these common elements of bread and of cup and would you make them for us so much more than that? Would you make them for us the body of Christ, redeemed by your blood so that we might be together, Christ's church, unified in the message of Christ and sent out in your identity and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you move today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.